Welcome to Season 5 of Ye Old Dragons Library, the storytelling podcast. Each episode this season will be a chapter from the second book in the Enchanted Castle Archives, The Beastly Beauty. In Season 1, our heroine, Ash, was warned multiple times to stay away from the Enchanted Castle, and if she ever saw it coming toward her, to run. Now, she finds the Enchanted Castle, or perhaps more accurately, it finds her. Will prophecy come true? Can she escape when she finds out the truth of Cecil's warning that every castle wants a princess? Listen and find out. Chapter 7 Not exactly, Letitia said. I can feel a nasty little silence spell, and a darkness spell, if I don't miss my guess. I'm greatly out of practice with some of the finer, more delicate methods of peering between the threads of magic. It would take me several hours of reading, brushing up on the theory, and then more hours of study to sharpen my eyes. I guess, however, that someone slapped a spell on the ring itself to keep him from seeing out and hearing and speaking. But he's still in there? Breathing grew a little easier, just for a few seconds, before the full implications hit Ash. He's trapped. He can't reach out. Nothing can get in. That's cruel. If it's any comfort, this is a sophisticated bit of weaving. From what Philby told me about the Justiciar, this is beyond the kinds of spells he would employ, and most likely far too expensive for his tastes and means. This is from someone truly nasty, who doesn't care how much effort and energy is expended in the spell's creation. The suffering of the victim matters more. Lathia, Ash shuddered. We never thought to check the magic woven around the ring, just all the tangles and knots affecting me. Either she hates all spirit rings because of the one inflicted on her, or she's out to hurt the ring because she knows he's your friend. She's out to hurt anyone and everyone who ever stood against her. Another shudder. And that reminds me, Ash said, I need to get to Fairhold and warn everyone as swiftly as I can. Then you'd best say your prayers, girl, and get as much rest as you can. Letitia gestured with a lift of her chin. To bed with you. I'll wake you before dawn, and the housekeeping breezes will have your horse ready. Letitia did more than that. When she woke Ash at dawn, she handed her a small book the size of her hand, bound in creamy blue leather, filled with the promised information on the magical troop who had faced the Dalwanga's wave of devastation. Ash hurried through washing and dressing and stepped out into the main room. She found Fang finishing a very red breakfast of strawberries and tomatoes, chattering with wild flips and twists and flaps of his ears. Letitia laughed, her wet eyes and red cheeks indicating she had been laughing at whatever the bunny said for some time now. It made perfect sense that Letitia would understand the bunny language. Breakfast to eat in the saddle. Letitia pointed at a cloth pouch and a small drinking skin that bulged. That's food for the day and tomorrow, and I've put a feed bag of magic-fortified grain on the front loop of your saddle. You'll still need to water your horse. But you'll be able to ride him two days straight before he'll need to stop and rest for a night. That should chop some hours off your journey. At the very least, get you over the border into Alfordia and into more friendly territory. Thank you. That's... I don't understand how I'm so lucky. Blessed, girl. 
Not lucky, Letitia said. Atheosius is watching out for you, guiding you to friendly hearts and minds. Most likely because you have a strange and wondrous destiny, some heavy duty ahead of you, some task only you can do. You need training, and you'll come against enough enemies and blocks and barriers to test you and make you strong. Friends like Philby and me, we're here to provide refreshment and support and make sure you never feel alone and remind you to say your prayers. Blessed, Ash nodded and swallowed hard, then let her heart lead and reached out to hug the woman. Letitia startled, then she laughed and wrapped her arms tight around her, just for two heartbeats. Thank you for so much. I can't even begin. Don't waste time. Letitia gave a friendly cuff to the back of Ash's head, like Myrtle used to do when Ash worked in the kitchens at Fairhold. Get on with you. And you. She pointed to Fang, who was sitting up and starting to groom away the signs of his messy breakfast. Watch out for her and keep your head down. I've heard enough rumblings through the whispers. The Bunny Council is irritated with you. Catch them at the wrong phase of the moon. They'll be accusing you of more than totally false murder charges. Ash thought through those words as she hurried out to her waiting horse, checked the feed bag, tied her packs into place, and lifted Fang into his basket. Garin trotted down the road, his footsteps sounding oddly muffled in the dawn quiet, as if the melting shadows somehow thickened the very air. Finally, when the sparkle of dew wasn't quite so bright, but the road ahead and behind them was still empty, she spoke. Fang, will you be in trouble with the Bunny Council? I mean, yes, you were in trouble when you fled. That's why you had to leave Alfordia with me. Will you be in more trouble when you return? Because you fled? Maybe you should stay back when we reach Fairhold? Don't step foot onto the downs? Fang thumped hard four times against the basket, thudding against her back. His chittering and grumbling reinforced what she took to be an emphatic no to her suggestion. What will you do if they catch you? Can they sense when you get near? Maybe you should stay in the basket until we leave Fairhold? This time, there was a long delay, and two thumps from inside the basket had only half the force of the first ones. We'll figure something out to keep you safe. She sighed. Please, Atheosius, help me keep Fang safe. When she met up with traffic heading down the road, going the same direction, and she didn't have to be quite as string-snapping alert, Ash opened the little blue journal. Letitia had warned there there wasn't as much information in there as she could have wished, but it was a starting point. She listed the numbers of people in the magical troop, 18 men and 12 women, 8 married couples, 4 had children. Letitia knew the names of the couples and the villages they came from, the towers where they had studied and trained, and the names of their mentors. She knew which ones had children and their numbers, but not the names or ages of the children with each couple. Ash could have been an only child, or had one or two siblings. That bit of information did help her narrow down which couples and their home villages and families she could search out. Someday, when other concerns were resolved. She wondered if she looked like her mother or her father, or perhaps she didn't look like either, but someone else in their families, a grandparent or aunt or uncle, or even cousins. Speculating on such things put an odd little ache in her head and chest. She laughed at herself a few times when she realized that she really hadn't wondered that much about her family, her origins, 
and any relatives who had given her up for dead. All orphans, at one time or another, wondered about such things. But she knew, from talking with the boys who had been given into Granny Flox's care, most let such questions die, because they had so little hope of finding answers. After all, Tippacy was three days away by horse from Castle Fairhold, and no one had protested when the twelve orphans were gathered up and given into Lady Charlotte's custody. Perhaps no one really noticed, in all the fuss and loss and devastation. Perhaps one of those boys was her brother. Ash tried to remember the faces of the boys she had grown up with, but her memory failed her. The older boys had been adopted out or sent to apprenticeships when she was so young, she hadn't really paid attention to them. They were all so young. Life was cruel to orphans, but Lady Charlotte and Granny Phlox had done their best to give them good childhoods, despite that. Ash resolved to make removing the stars her next task, once she had warned Castle Fairhold. The sooner she could return to Tippacy in safety and start asking questions, the better. She was careful to stop every four hours to water Garin and let him rest for half an hour at a time. She studied the map of the territory the King's Highway would take her through as she headed for the border with Alfordia and tried to calculate where she would be riding at night. She could depend on the horse to take care of her, staying on the highway and warning her of approaching dangers. Ash doubted she would be able to sleep in the saddle. Curiosity drove her to taste the grain Letitia had given her. She took a pinch of the grain and sniffed it. Whatever herbs had been added to the grain, she couldn't detect them. Just the same dusty, rich smell of grain she expected. Her throat closed at the thought of trying to eat some of it. She wondered if a human eating food meant for a horse would do her any harm, or just make her sick. Maybe the magic to help the horse was so specialized, it wouldn't work for a human. There was so very much she didn't know about magic, despite all the studying she had done with Cecil. She had depended on the ring to teach her along the way, from all those books he had accessed and devoured. Another strike against Justiciar Camwell, for wrapping that spell around the ring to take him away from her when the quest was fulfilled. And a larger strike against Lathia, for the magic her minions had added to the spell to silence and blind him. Ash tried again to persuade Fang to stay behind when she reached the borders of Castle Fairhold's territory. He squealed at her and hit the basket hard enough to slam into her back and likely leave a bruise. She had to laugh and thanked him for his loyalty, even if he was rather painfully adamant about it. Then she had more important things to think about. How should she approach the residence of Fairhold? Should she look for Hazel and Granny Phlox first? Would anyone recognize her, with her longer hair and different clothes, riding a horse, dressed as a woman instead of a servant boy? Would they let her talk to Lady Charlotte if they didn't recognize her? That dilemma was taken out of her hands when a shout arose from a field ahead of her as she crested a rise in the landscape. A crossroads lay ahead of her, and two men on horseback came down the intersecting road, apparently intending to meet up with her. Ash let Garin slow so the two men, now visible in Fairhold livery, reached the crossroads first. They stopped and turned their horses, not blocking the road but clearly waiting for her. Ash said a silent prayer. Fang thumped gently against the basket. It's all right. She hoped that would be true. Then a yelp caught in her throat, 
when the square, ruddy features of one of the men snagged her attention. She knew him. Aaron, the oldest of Granny Flox's pups. Could this be a gift? Some encouragement from Athiosius? Courier, what word? the other man called, when Ash was maybe five horse lengths from them. She recognized him now, Randall, Captain Reginald's nephew and second-in-command. Of course, they recognized her uniform jacket, the badge, the colored braids on the horse's tack, to identify couriers across all kingdoms. She tried to remember if any trouble was stirring for Fairhold, maybe for Alfordia in general, from all the gossip she had overheard along the way. She didn't dare lie and claim to have a message for Lady Charlotte. The mission she had come on was too important to taint it with lies, even if well-intentioned. I'm here, she stopped herself from saying personal reasons, because that wouldn't sound any better than lying. I don't carry an official message from any kings or nobles, but I do have grave news for Castle Fairhold, its family, and many of its servants. Randall leaned forward, and he frowned as he stared at her. Ash stopped her horse with two lengths between them. "'My pardon, courier. What grave news is this?' "'I'm sorry, but Lady Charlotte and Lord Diggory would not appreciate my talking about family business that could be embarrassing, if not painful, not out where someone might overhear.' "'Painful in what way?' Randall's expression cooled, along with his tone. "'Not out here.' She gestured at the field to their left, where several dozen people surrounded four or five wagons, busy gathering up sheaves of wheat to haul them into the barns and likely the threshing floors. Voices carry too well in the cooling air. Aye, they do. He glanced at Aaron, gesturing with his chin, then beckoned for Ash to follow. As she expected, Aaron turned his horse to follow behind her, as she followed Randall. Neither man said anything to her on the ride of nearly an hour to Castle Fairhold. Ash rehearsed the possible speeches she had prepared to get in to speak to Lady Charlotte. Perhaps she should have asked for Dunstan? Why hadn't she used any of the rehearsed words she had been working on since she left Willemsport? How she wished the ring was here to advise her, or at the very least, tease her out of her nerves. Ash's swirling thoughts led back to her questions about the other orphans gathered up from Tippacy. Was it possible Aaron was her brother? Did Aaron look anything like her? Turning to look at him now would only make Randall suspicious. Would she help or make things worse by introducing herself now? Randall had been friendly to the servant boys, giving them opportunities to try their hand with the wooden practice swords and shields and blunted arrows and crossbow bolts. He hadn't been present during the inquiries, and he hadn't come to say goodbye to her and wish her well during the last two days at Castle Fairhold, before she fled. Maybe he was one of those who had been offended to learn the boy, Ash, was a girl in disguise. Stop nattering yourself into knots and a headache and twitchy innards, she scolded herself. Have you been a courier long, Randall said, turning to speak over his shoulder. No, Ash tried to smile. He slowed his horse, so it fell back to walk beside hers. How long? His gaze traveled over her briefly, then studied the pouches, the bags strapped to the saddle, and lingered especially long on the basket holding Fang. I'm still in training. I came to Lady Philby just over a month ago. Ah, that explains. Randall rubbed his eye with a knuckle. You seem over young for a courier. I'm nearly sixteen. 
In the spring, Ash silently added. Where are you from? I don't really know. I'm an orphan. She listened to the tiny thrill that shot through her, like an echo of a whisper of laughter encouraging her. Did she dare hope that was the ring, somehow breaking through the spells silencing him? I was separated from my family in the great flood that hit Tippacy and raised with other orphans. Huh. Interesting. He glanced sideways as if barely stopping himself in time from looking over his shoulder at Aaron, riding behind them. You're older than me, Aaron, she said, and turned to look at him. Aaron showed his good training by not gasping or swearing or sitting up straight or yanking on his horse's reins. His eyes widened, but he did nothing else. Do you remember anything from before the flood hit, and before Lady Charlotte gathered us up and gave us to Granny Flocks? Why would you ask? Randall reached out, his arms swift and his grip tight around her wrist. I know you. He gripped harder until she flinched and hissed. He loosened his hold but didn't let go. But I don't know you. Ash, Aaron said on a groan. Randall cursed. He yanked the reins to stop his horse and let go of her wrist to catch the reins out of her hands. When her horse stopped, he turned his so he faced her now and caught her chin in his palm. His eyes widened and narrowed several times as he studied her face. He leaned back, shook his head twice, then abruptly released her and tipped his head back and laughed. Three great barks. Hazel warned me to be on the lookout for you, he said on a growl, punctuated with a few muttered words that were probably curses. My quest is over, and I have news of Lathia. If anyone cares, she added. That got a grin from Randall. He looked her over again. Are you supposed to be a girl now? I've always been a girl. Boy clothes really are more comfortable and sensible, especially for a servant with all sorts of chores. You would have had different chores if you let us know you were a girl, Aaron said, finally bringing his horse up alongside her, so she was bracketed between them. Why are you disguised as a courier, Randall said. I'm not. I'm serving with Philby's couriers. For now. Her letter asking Lord Diggory to release me to her service should have gotten here already. Not that they'd tell us lower ranks. He nodded and gestured with a jerk of his chin toward the castle, then finally let go of the reins. What took you so long getting back here? I was on foot. Do you know how long it takes to get through all the caverns and cross all the borders the Justiciar required when you're walking? That got laughter from both men. Randall nudged his horse faster, moving ahead of them. Ash caught Aaron giving her sideways glances as they followed close behind. He had always been one of the nicer older brothers when they were living in Granny Flox's cottage, protecting the younger ones from the boys who had to prove they were stronger and faster than someone. She hoped he wasn't going to get silly now that he knew she was a girl. If Aaron decided to get protective, older brother to younger sister, or worse, show interest in her as a girl with nothing brotherly about it, she didn't want to have to hurt him, in either his heart or his stomach, with a good right hook to double him over and knock some sense into him. Several people along the road to the castle were close enough to see and recognize the courier markings, and the cry went ahead of them. Ash studied the sun, sitting a hand span above the horizon, and willed it to drop faster. She didn't want to take Fang through the gates. Getting him out of the basket and outside where he could roam during the night would be difficult, at best. 
On the other hand, the shadows within the castle's walls would be strong enough to protect him if he had to move about before full night fell. If she asked that nobody touch the basket, that would just attract attention and questions. Someone would get curious enough to look, or, when they knew who she was, they would get irritated and investigate simply because she said not to. Then there would be trouble. On the other hand, she grinned as she imagined how Fang would deal with the servants who hadn't been pleasant to work with, the self-righteous and sour-mouthed, who spent their days trying to prove they were smarter and better than everyone around them. A buzz settled into the star on her breastbone when Ash was two horse lengths from the main castle gates. She braced herself. The buzz turned into a dull stab in both stars, then faded away before she took a breath. That was new. Had someone felt the need to set warning spells or some other kind of magic on the gates or the castle walls since she left? Or had she simply grown more sensitive to magic at work? Randall stopped his horse in the second courtyard, leading to the stables, and gestured at one of the rails for tethering the horses outside. He dismounted after Ash stopped her horse next to his and held out his hand for her reins. She didn't know how to take it when he tied Garin to the rail, beckoned with a turn of his head, and turned and headed for the door into the castle. There was no remedy for it. She glanced once at Aaron, then tugged loose the loop for the basket closure and raised the lid slightly. I'm going inside, but I don't plan to stay long. I hope nobody will bother you, but try not to make a mess if you have to come look for me. She lowered the lid before Fang thumped his response, making the basket shake a little. What's that? Aaron asked as she slid down from the saddle. My traveling companion, a very cranky bunny. Did you know bunnies have magic? She didn't wait for him to catch up with her. She almost hoped he would stay behind to guard her horse. Not that she expected anyone to steal within Castle Fairhold, but there were always a few curious souls who thought privacy and secrets were crimes against humanity. Don't talk to us about bunnies. Aaron shuddered as he fell into step with her. We at Yield Dragon Books hope you're enjoying this story and looking forward to Ash, Fang, and the Spirit Ring's further adventures. When the Beastly Beauty Ends We'll jump to another adventure of Odessa Fremont in the Guardians of the Time Stream series with the Blue Lotus Society. S has been a Pinkerton agent for several years now and facing the most challenging assignment yet as she meets up with people who know her missing grandparents and know far more about her past than she does. After the Blue Lotus Society, we'll go on to the second book in the Stewards World series, the sequel to Plantwise, called The White Wolf. While you're listening to these two books, I'll be working on book three of the Enchanted Castle Archives, called The Disenchanted Prince. If you'd like your own copy of The Beastly Beauty, either in paper, ebook, or audiobook, please visit Ye Old Dragon Books or the Ye Old Dragon's Library Patreon page for updates and to find out how to pre-order at a discount. We hope you enjoyed today's chapter. For more information on all the books and series featured in this podcast, or to purchase the ebook or audiobook for future reading and listening pleasure, please visit yeoldragonbooks.com. 
You can also find more information about our books and purchase ebooks on our Patreon page, Ye Old Dragons Library. Please consider supporting the podcast to gain access to free stories or discounts or a chance to purchase a new book in advance of release. Thanks for listening to this episode of Ye Old Dragons Library.